Hey, everyone. So I had finished mixing the show this morning uh, when I was contacted by Godless Matt from the Broadly Focused podcast. He had asked uh, he had asked that I mention to our audience uh, that there's currently a fundraiser podcast being planned for someone who's involved with a very large religious discussion group on Google+. The person's name is Nadia, and uh, here, just let me read directly from the message here. It says, Nadia, a male-female transgender who is in transition, has fallen on hard times, uh, has been out of work for some time, and is running out of medications that allow her to function in her current state. Without medication and rent, she'll be homeless and sick in a city, New York City, uh, that is not very kind to the transgendered. We are putting together a benefit live podcast, possibly a 24-hour podcast, to raise a bit of cash to help her out. I was really hoping you might be able to throw in a quick plug on your show for the site and Twitter feed. The site is meds4, that's meds, the number 4, nyc.org, and the Twitter, which is meds, number 4, nyc, that's all one word. Now, we're going to put these both of these links on our show notes for this time and uh, and keep your eyes open on these two sites for the next couple of days. I'm sure more information is going to be posted as time goes on. And uh, good luck, Matt. Want to stream cognitive dissonance to your Android or iPhone? Buy the app. Go to dissonancepod.com and click on the link on the right-hand side of the page. Each purchase helps support the show. But when you go back and you read the words of our founding fathers and you go back and you read some of those letters they wrote, some of the speeches they gave, sermons that were preached by the pastors during the Revolutionary War, uh, those were the kind of sentiments that were expressed about the anarchy of the British crown. And they came here to get away from that. We are not now willing to revert back to anarchy. To have our liberties stripped away from us, the right to keep and bear a gun has been the privilege of Americans from day one, and it has never been a problem. It's not a problem now. Back when we had prayer and the Bible read in our schools, we didn't have school gun shootings. Back in the day when faith had a prominent place in the life of Americans and American families, we didn't have this kind of rampage in our country. We have gotten away from it. We used to have the Ten Commandments posted in our schoolrooms so that every day our students could see where God Almighty has said, Thou shalt not murder. But we've deemed that as illegal now, according to the Constitution. We've taken that out of our classrooms. We've taken prayer out of the classrooms. We've taken faith and morality out of our nation's population. Listen, the lack of knowing the Lord and living godly lives is what's caused this problem. It is not the presence of guns. Be advised that this show is not for children, the faint of heart, or the easily offended. The explicit tag is there for a reason. is cognitive dissonance every episode we blast anyone who gets in our way 
we bring critical thinking, skepticism, and irreverence to any topic that makes the news, makes it big, or makes us mad. It's skeptical, it's political, and there is no welcome, Matt. This is episode 80. This is the post-Christmas spectacular pre-New Year <laughs> extravaganza. And for this show, we have uh, Vicky from the um, blog No Longer Quivering. It's actually uh, located at pathos.com, um, which is actually the same uh, site, I believe, that hosts the Friendly Atheist blog. Vicky, welcome to the show. Hi, Cecil. Hi, Tom. Vicky, I wanted to talk to you real quick about uh, your latest post. It's from uh, December the 20th, um, Fearing God at the End of the World. Um, and I, I read this post uh, today, and I was quite interested in it. Um, one of the things that strikes me uh, about this post, the post um, discusses the uh, sort of the change in mindset from when you were part of the Quiverful movement and part of a uh, Christian faith tradition um, to uh, being out of the Quiverful movement and being out of the, the Christian faith tradition um, and uh, with an atheist mindset. One of the things that, that struck me was um, the personal responsibility um, and intellectual responsibility um, issues that you brought up in your post. Um, tell us a little bit about that and how that changed from when you were part of the Quiverful movement to sort of uh, what's different about that now. Okay, well, one thing about Quiverful is that it's, you know, very much a fundamentalist um, branch of Christianity. It kind of takes Christianity to its logical and extreme conclusions. And so, um, and I think that the reason that I went that far with my faith walk is because I did have a lot of fear. And, you know, when I wrote that blog post about fearing God at the end of the world, it was because you know, I had been reading all of these posts and uh, and news stories about what happened in Newtown, Connecticut, um, with the shooting. And then there's, you know, all of this about the, the end of the world, the end of the world. We decided, you know, that we were just going to have an end of the world party at our house. Huh. And uh, it was it was kind of, you know, a joke because obviously we didn't think that the world was going to end. But just to acknowledge all of that fear and to, to talk about, um, you know, with my kids, the fact that uh, my, our Christianity, when we went that far with it, when we were extreme fundamentalist uh, believers, it was, it was a, a mind game. It was a head trip that we were playing with ourselves to um, kind of counteract that fear or to deny the fear. And uh, so it's, it's interesting that during that time, I really felt that I was fearless. If you'd asked me what I was afraid of, I was like, um, nothing, because I have God on my side, because I'm right with God, and so I know that He's looking out for me, He's protecting me, etc. Um, but what it really does is just kind of shuts down the the fear response, and and I'm starting to realize that that's not not a good thing. Um, fear can be a great motivator and fear can be something that, you know, when you feel that it, it, you know, nowadays when I start to feel fear, like after the shootings, I heard about, you know, all those little children in the school and I have kids in grade school, um, and, in public schools. And I'm thinking, you know, what if it would have been, you know, it, it could have been our, our kids. It could, it could be anywhere. It could happen. And just having that, that fear kind of well up there and rather than pray or <laughs> um, do the, the hmm. things that I typically used to do as a fundamentalist to calm that fear, I 
I realized that I really need to address those fears, find out what's causing that and what can I do about it and take, like you said, that personal responsibility. So I, I, I had a, a quick follow-up to that, So, and, and I'm genuinely clear, curious. Um, when you would previously um, – I've, I've never been a person of faith, so I really don't have any experience with this. And I, I, am, I am genuinely curious. When, when you would experience a fear, you know, especially um, a, an existential fear like you, know, um, you seem to be describing with your uh, reaction to um, the end of the world and the events in Newtown and these sort of um, fears of mortality – um, and before you, you said that you had felt fearless, that you, you had right. felt like, well, I'm, I'm, yes. I'm wrapped in sort of the protective cloak of, of, of my faith. And so then you, do you think that that was more of a, um, more of like a psychological game that, that you played to calm yourself down? Like, okay, I'm, I'm getting worked up. I can pray. The praying is, is a psychological response. It gets me calm. Or was this, was, did you intellectually believe okay, I am safer because of this prayer. At at the time when I believed it, I wholeheartedly believed it. I felt that God, you know, that the Holy Spirit was calming my, you know, quieting my spirit, calming my fears, giving me peace. Um, You know, I felt all of that. And it was, you know, I can look back now and I can see where I was playing this, this really intricate head trip with myself. Um, and, and now, you know, that I'm not able to kind of play those mind games anymore because I've, I've had my eyes open. I can see, um, you know, that it, it was just a, a psychological thing that I was doing in my own head. Um, it's, you know, it's like there was fear even then. Um, but I, it was like a coping technique. It was not a healthy, productive coping technique. It was more of a mm-hmm. shutting down and an escapism where I just didn't really deal with things because I'd just give it to the Lord and let him, you know, put it in his hands and it was his problem. It wasn't my problem. And, and so it, it was very much a, um, an escapist kind of mentality. Now, when, when you talk about this lack of fear, uh, did it transfer into other things that you would do, like decisions you would make? And also, did it sort of preclude you to certain ideologies? And I'll give you an example. Um, uh, when you think like, – and because I, I, I used to be a believer. So to give you some context, I used to be a believer. When you think about the world in the context of the Bible, when you think about the world in the context of God, uh, if you're let, are, are you letting go? Are you just saying – uh, sort of a Jesus take the wheel sort of feeling about a lot of the decisions you're making in your life. And also when you think about the way uh, the Bible teaches us about how the world exists and what the world is here for, does it preclude you to certain ideologies like uh, like your, your uh, global warming denier because you think, well, geez, there's no way there could be global warming because God wouldn't let that happen. Does that, is that sort of, did that sort of permeate all aspects of your life in that way? Yes. And, and as I said, Quiverful, you know, they're, they're very much the extremist um, segment of Christianity. And that's not to say that their viewpoints are um, aberrant to Christianity. I believe that Quiverful is just your basic regular Christianity only lived out to its logical conclusions. Um, in other words, the majority of evangelical Christians are going to de- be um, deniers of global warming. Um, but, 
you know, Quiverful says, you know, I'm just going to keep having babies and I don't believe that there's an overpopulation problem. Um, God's right. going to take care of these things. So yeah, the decision, and, and really what it, it meant, what it meant for me personally was that I didn't have to make decisions because those decisions were already made for me. Um, and spelled out chapter and verse. You know, I had a Bible verse for every situation in my life so that I didn't have to think about it. I, and I wouldn't, you know, at the time that I was living this lifestyle, I never would have said that I wasn't thinking because I was thinking. I just was thinking in some very unhealthy and very unproductive ways. So when you when you made decisions, were you just sort of going with your gut then, sort of just letting yourself and I'm talking like big life decisions. Let's say, you know, like uh, if a new job offer comes up or something like that, you know, something something big on the horizon. Would you just – I mean did it, did it affect your thinking that deeply that you wouldn't weigh pros and cons? It, it absolutely did because when I got into Quiverful, you know, when, before I became a Christian, I, I had made up my mind that I was not going to have children because I knew my own personality. I knew – my own taste, you know, when I was growing up, I never babysat other people's kids because they just drove me crazy. <laughs> and, and, <laughs> so I just knew that I wouldn't be a good mother. I, I had no desire and I had decided that I wasn't going to have children. But then I got into Christianity and I learned from the Bible that that was my life purpose. You know, that the reason that God created me and gave me a womb was so that I could reproduce and, you know, raise up these arrows for God's army, these mighty warriors. Um, and so that was a life decision. And when I started having the babies, you know, I had some very serious health issues, which made um, pregnancy and delivery um, extremely, you know, there were times when I actually risked my life with another pregnancy. Um, and so the, the choice, you know, I felt like I didn't have a choice because I felt like, well, the Bible says it and I'm going to be obedient because, you know, if I'm in the will of God, he's going to take care of me. So rather than thinking through, you know, all of the pros and cons and whether this was actually a, a wise, um, you know, life affirming idea for me to, you know, for me actually personally to keep getting pregnant, I had this blanket, one size fits all, you know, God says that women are, you know, to be fruitful and multiply and that is my purpose. And so I just, I did it, you know, I, I just obeyed. I was like, um, though he, though he, um, slay me yet, will I trust him? That was my life verse. And there were times where I came close. I, I almost lost my, my life on several occasions during those pregnancies and deliveries because I just don't, you know, I'm not cut out for childbearing. Um, and yet I, I kept doing that. And it was because I had that mindset. I had that mentality that as long as I was doing what God says, according to the Bible, then he would protect me. He would take care of me. And if I did die, um, it's like I was resigned to that. I had that whole martyr mentality. You know, Jesus went to the cross and gave his life. Um, so why should I be, you know, unwilling to give less than that in my commitment to following God's will? Something something you just said and then something that you wrote in the same uh, piece that we were talking about, it, it, it occurs to me, and I, I don't mean this in a rude way at all, but um, what I, what I keep hearing is this idea that you know if if I do write you know and, and I know this isn't a, a philosophy you subscribe to anymore but I'm I'm genuinely uh, kind of fascinated by this idea so the the idea is if I do write 
you know, if I follow the commandments of my God, then I'll be protected by my God. I'll be, you know, the Holy Spirit or what have you will look over me. And it's that's sort of when you see tragedies like, you know, what happened in Newtown and then, you know, just every day opening your, your newspaper. Um, did you have to do a lot of sort of mental backflips? I did. And it was it was especially difficult for me because I am a thoughtful person. I, you know, I have a high intelligence, not to be bragging or anything, but I'm not just like a follower type of person. I am not a naturally submissive sort of person. I have, you know, kind of a leadership um, personality. And yet, because I bought into this whole idea that God reveals his will for people through the written word of God, you know, the Bible says that women are to be submissive. The Bible says that we are to trust him. The Bible says that God is good. And so I just had to believe those things, even though, you know, there was so much, you know, like my my eyes would see one thing and my mind would think one thing, but my faith had to keep bringing me back to, you know, obey, obey obedience. I'm just going to take God at his word. So when you would when you would previously when you would see something you know awful occur in the news or what have you, um, would it be the idea? Well, they they didn't have they weren't following God's plan and that's why they weren't protected, or was it this must be good and I just can't see how it's good? I'm just kind of curious. I, I I'm curious how that reconciles. You know, there's so many. You're just trying to find some, you know, acceptable way of reconciling that. And so I would just, uh, you know, come up with uh, I there and there are so many Bible verses and I call them thought stopping um, <laughs> verses now because I realized that those verses I would just you know uh, something would start to come up I would feel troubled I would feel fearful or whatever but there's a Bible verse <laughs> and I can just repeat it and meditate on that kind of concentrate and focus. And uh, that would calm me down. That would uh, reassure me. And so it was a way of dealing with the fear or with the confusion or with, you know, that cognitive dissonance that you have um, to be able to just have peace. You know, I always felt like I, I had so much peace in my heart. And what it really was is, you know, kind of like that blissful ignorance that they talk about, Um I, you know, I definitely achieved that state of mind pretty regularly. Um, and, and to the point where, I mean, it takes, you, you've got to be pretty well, I, I hate the word brainwashed, but it, it actually is a good description of what happened. I mean, to the point where I was willing to risk my life, even after I saw how close I came, you know, in one pregnancy and then to go ahead and get pregnant again, even against the doctor's orders, even against, you know, everyone, my mother would, you know, come to my hospital bed and beg me, you know, don't do this to yourself. Your children who are alive need a mother. Uh, you've got to quit risking your life. And yet, you know, I was so into that mentality of trusting God that I would just, you know, repeat those verses and I would just shut down all of those uh, you know, that intuition, that, um, I don't know, common sense, logic, all of that, I could shut it down 
and soothe myself by holding on to my faith. And, and you know, I will admit, I was I was crazy. It's a it's a form of like mental illness. I think I think I was insane at that point. And if somebody would have locked me up, it would have been appropriate because I was risking my life. I was risking you know my family. It was uh, it was not not healthy, not rational. I was a mess. <laughs> I, I got to ask one more question about the fear thing here. Now, I uh, as I said, I used to be a believer, and I and I and I think one of the the worst parts about believing for me was it opened up the belief for a lot of other things. And I actually think I was way more fearful when I believed than I am now. Uh, and I'll give you some examples. When I used to uh, – I used to be terrified of revelation. <laughs> I used to be terrified of it. Uh, I mean it's like a it's, – it's especially when you read about it or you hear predictions about it and, and there's such vague things that they talk about in revelation that it could apply to basically any time. Right. So the entire day, you know, you're look, basically looking over your shoulder at revelation. It opens up the idea of demons and ghosts and all these other supernatural things. And so I feel like – uh, you know, I was, and I also wasn't a good Christian. You know, I was, I wasn't, I wasn't bathed in the white light, so right. to speak. You, you, were, so, you were one of those pee warmer Christians. I was, I was, uh, I was actually, you know, I thought I was a good person, but I certainly didn't think, you know, there was always the possibility because you hear about the righteousness you would need to get into heaven. I w- there was always this possibility of hell. So there's all these other fears, I think, that permeated my life. And when I finally shrugged all that off, I feel, I think, a lot more free now. Is it, yes. does it, Do you feel any, any similarities at all to I, that? I do. And it's really interesting. You know, when I say that I felt fearless, um, like I said, that was a total head trip that I was playing on myself. It was a mind game because there was so much more to fear. You got all the supernatural stuff. You got all the end time stuff. Uh, you had the world, the flesh, the devil that are out to get you, you know, I, I feared my own, um, I, I feared my intellect. I feared my intuition because the Bible says that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. So I believe that within me was this heart that wanted to rebel against God. Um, as a woman, you know, there are so many verses that talk about the woman was the one who was deceived. And so I believe that as a woman, I was more um, susceptible to deception by Satan. And so I got to the point where if something made sense to me, if something seemed logical, I, it was almost like an, I took it as an anti-indicator of God's will. Because if I, if I thought, you know, this feels right, this seems like a good idea, I thought, that must be Satan. That's probably Satan, or it's my own flesh, it's my own, you know, rebellious will and so it's like almost I would need to do the opposite of that in order to know that I was doing, you know, so if it was painful, if it was, you know, embarrassing or humiliating, um, that would make that was like confirmation for me that I was doing the right thing, you know, by God, because obviously, you know, um, the walk of faith is a, is a walk of sacrifice. It's a walk of, you know, they talk about we need to be a peculiar people. And I got to where I was extremely peculiar. (laughs) (laughs) 
so we're going to be back with Vicki Garrison at the end of the show. If you're new to Cognitive Dissonance, uh, we will be talking about a few things in between, but uh, we'll, be re- we'll be interviewing Vicki uh, about her blog and her work uh, later on. So stick around for that. So, Cecil, we've got to talk about this story from thinkprogress.org, top conservative publication. Shooting occurred because women ran the school. National Review's in-house editorial suggested that Newtown was the price of the Second Amendment, recently published a piece on Wednesday from anti-feminist Charlotte Allen suggesting the reason the shooter was able to kill so many students was because Newtown was a feminized setting. Uh... This is probably one of the most insane and offensive things that I've read in a long time. You sent this to me, and I was fucking flabbergasted by this. Yeah, this is fucking crazy. I want to read a little piece of this here. Uh, It says, There was not a single adult male in the school premises where the shooting occurred. In this school of 450 students, a sizable number of whom were undoubtedly 11- and 12-year-old boys, uh, all the personnel... Uh, the teachers, the principal, the assistant principal, the school psychologist, the reading specialist were female. There didn't even seem to be a male janitor to heave his bucket at the person's knees. Uh, women and small children are sitting ducks for mass murders. You know, here's the thing, Tom. I think this, this, this review article has actually hit on something. Instead of arming teachers, they should arm them with buckets. And yeah, then, I don't know why. I, I carry a bucket. Yeah. I just cut holes in it sure. and I wear it on my head. Well, no, I, I actually carry buckets around. Whenever anybody annoys me, I just heave a bucket at them. I just, just throw bucket a chucking. bucket. And it depends on the you know the weight. Obviously, your metal bucket's going to do a little more damage than your pl- basic plastic pail. You know, but but you know you really got to weigh out those situations. I have a whole a utility belt full of buckets that I walk around with. There's a, kind of a bucket for every situation. Well, that's that's why they call it a bucket brigade. Yeah, yeah, right. That's, it's yeah, tough, that's where they man. came from. Yeah, Bozo was a badass motherfucker fucking with eight. those Bozo buckets. Jeez, he had fucking six <laughs> of buckets. He will fuck you up, and man. Ping got... pong balls. <laughs> I love that the janitor just like walks around with a bucket. Yeah, like okay, well, you clearly have never been or seen a janitor. <laughs> like that's not unless they have a need for a bucket at the moment. They're not just carrying them around yeah, in case mass murderers yeah, swing their by. Buckets have wheels on them anyway. I know. Like they're the only bucket I've ever seen a, a, a janitor with is a mop bucket. And the thing is is like fucking here's the thing. I got a busket. You got a gun, motherfucker. I know, like, right? <laughs> a gun versus busket. Like, you don't even need to run this simulation from that. Remember that one show where they had animals fought each other and they run a simulation to decide if the polar bear can beat the tiger shark? Let me tell you something. The gun's going to beat the busket every fucking time. Yeah, that's that's a pretty low. Like, which is faster? Heaving a bucket or a two-two-three rifle yeah, okay. bullet, like it's not even comparable. Yeah. Like the bucket is not traveling at the speed of sound plus. Yeah. Like it's not like a Mach two bucket. Yeah, it's not a bucket, man. You're like you don't have to turn the afterburners on the bucket. Yeah, the only way a bucket flies it. that fast is if it's on a stealth two bomber. That's the right. only way it goes that fast. Well, and this this fucking fool of a took yeah. goes on later <laughs> <laughs> to say. Think of what Sandy Hook might have been like if a couple of male teachers who had played high school football or even some of the huskier 12-year-old boys had converged on him. Uh, Well, you know what it would have been like? It would have been like a couple of dead male teachers 
who had played high school po- football yeah. and some dead husky 12-year-old boys. Who died. Because I don't give yeah. a flying fuck how tough you are. They, he didn't go in and wrestle them to death. No. He didn't go in and, and, and attack them with his bare fists and bad attitude. He went in and fucking shot them. Yeah. That's what happened. And do am I really to believe that a couple of 12-year-old husky or not, 12-year-old kids are su- su- expected to rush an armed assailant? That's – am I – a male teacher is expected to rush an armed assailant? That's th- – this article says – in general, a feminized setting – this makes me crazy – is a setting in which helpless passivity is the norm. Really, women yeah. are helplessly passive. Male aggression can be a good thing as in protecting the weak. The weak read here as in women. women. Yeah, sure. Um, but it has been forced out of the culture of elementary schools and the education schools that train their personnel uh, as if to suggest for also that at one time – Teaching elementary school was a primarily male-dominated yeah, no profession. Kidding, right? It's never been. It's not been forced out of the elementary schools. It was never part of the elementary schools. Male teachers are still very much the minority in elementary school. That's it. This is so mind-bogglingly offensive and stupid. Well, isn't isn't the gun the great equalizer? Isn't that what it is? It you know you put it in the hands of fifty barely trained people, and they could take down any group of people that happen to have any kind of melee weapons at all. So look at you know a conflict that would erupt between uh, peasants versus the nobility. You know somebody like a like a like a, a class of warriors that actually had like swords or spears or whatever the fuck they had. They could have anything. They could be you know a knight carrying another knight, <laughs> and they would still die. Like you still get shot and die. <laughs> they could have a it, crossbow that shoots shoots knights. Face. It's like a ballista for knights. It just shoots them and they just fly across the field. No, seriously, that is the great equalizer. I don't care. You know. How fast does a man's body drop in comparison to a woman's? You know, yeah, like know. that's the only thing you're going to be measuring here is how quickly they crumple to the ground when they've been sh- riddled with bullets. The, uh, this guy didn't come in and he didn't have a fucking machete. He had a gun. He had a gun that it takes two or three calories of energy to kill another human being or seriously injure them so they can't move. I mean, he's not – you don't have to be a wizard to wield a gun. No, you know, you, you'll be very unskilled and hurt many, many people with it. And the and the thing is, is, is that people don't understand that. They seem to think there's this, there's this fucking Charlie Bronson idea that if yeah. a guy ever comes and tries to hold up my school, I'm going to dodge in there and slide in and punch him in the balls and he's going to shriek and drop his gun. No, he's probably just going to shoot you as you run at him. Yeah, and it, it, the idea too that – when some when when you're an unarmed dude or an armed dude, I don't care. When you're a person not trained in combat, you know, there's a reason we train the police. There's a reason we train security. There's a reason we train uh, the military, and it's not just because we want them to be tough guys. I mean, you can get a tough guy without without going through all of the training that they put people through. But but part of that training that's that, that's very important is the psychological training to evaluate assess and not fucking run yeah because if you've ever had a gun pointed at you it is an incredibly scary thing that is the idea that a gun being pointed at you 
and fired at you while bodies are dropping left and right. And you're going to have the presence of mind and the courage of conviction to not only rush this guy, but to rush this guy unarmed yeah. and succeed. Yeah. It's a fucking that is a it is a it is a disservice. And, you know, I look at this. I read this article. And the, and the very first thing I thought when you sent this to me is um, I thought about that teacher. Uh, I, in fact, she's she's in the article. Victoria Soto. She saved 20 or so kids, not by male aggression, as this article would have us uh, believe is wanting in the school, but by using her fucking brain and hiding the kids in closets and cabinets and then tricking the gunman into thinking that all the kids had left to go to the gym. He shot and killed her. Sure, she's dead. But she saved 20 some lives. Saved them. She just saved 20 some lives, an entire classroom full of people she saved not by aggression sure, she didn't rush but by the antithesis of aggression well i i've had you know i'm going to speak from authority here i've had a gun pulled on me and the first thing i did was run the first I, I didn't even think about it i mean it wasn't even like there wasn't even a moment and there was three of us and he pulled a gun on three of us and the first thing i did was turn and run i didn't even care about the people i was with <laughs> i was like this fucking every man for himself man <laughs> fuck you Good luck. I hope you run as fast as me. You don't have to outrun the bear. You just, you just have, have to, to outrun your buddy. No, I'm kidding. And it's totally true. Like fucking friendships that I had had for years were thrown out the window. It's like, who cares? I need to get away from this person. And the idea that you're just going to be like, well, I'm going to have to take this guy down. Like nobody thinks that unless they're no. in, unless they're thinking about it from a like a, a Monday morning quarterback situation where they're thinking, you know, man, if that guy would have done that to me, I'd have beat his ass. Yeah, well, you weren't in that situation, tough guy. Yeah, you don't get to like and – if, and if you get hit by the bullet, you don't get to like pop onto a mushroom and get big again. Yeah, no kidding. Like, like it's not, that's, that's that's not, not how it works. Dun-dun-dun-dun-dun. It's not like that. What the actual fuck? What the actual what the fuck? What the actual fucking fuck fuck? What the actual... The actual flying fuck. What the actual fuck? What the actual fuck? What the actual fuck? What is this conservatedia bullshit? What the... What? 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 What the actual fuck conservatedia? Abstinence. Studies of the effectiveness of abstinence education programs have yielded differing conclusions. A 2004 study by the Conservative Heritage Foundation found that virginity pledges significantly reduce premarital sex without putting backsliders at risk. A study funded by the administration of Liberal President Bill Clinton through Mathematica Policy Research found that the programs had no effect on the sexual abstinence of youth. But this study reached this liberal conclusion by omitting abstinence education during the pivotal high school years and by only following four elementary and middle school programs out of 700 total schools that had received funding. Liberals oppose abstinence policies and Planned Parenthood, a powerful liberal organization, profits from teenage sexual activity. Yet the facts are undisputed. Abstinent teens never get infected with STDs or become pregnant from having sex benefits of abstinence clear conscience with god through the absence of sin peace of mind in one's life future relationships and marriage more self-respect respect for others and respect from other people
entering marriage with a more positive outlook and without emotional baggage. Personal freedom for both marriage partners. Significantly better chance of a satisfying and stable marriage. Longer lasting relationship. Premarital sex breaks up more dating couples than any other factor. No sexual comparisons in marriage. The covenant of marriage entails being free to enjoy maximum sex, maximum leisure, maximum satisfaction, and maximum liberty in the way God intended. No worries about pregnancy. No worries about sexually transmitted diseases. No worries about bad reputation. Persons and couples who have premarital sex are more likely to have affairs and commit adultery. Premarital sex often fools a person into marrying someone who really is not right for them. No fears of rejection and reliance on another's mercy to keep the relationship going. More experienced individuals are generally less desirable and less respected as dating or marriage partners. There is a 98% chance that couples who meet in high school will not marry. So it is always better to maintain purity for the right person, the future wife or husband. Secular progressive assault. Abstinence is hated among the liberal population, and they work hard to discount the benefits. In insults against Christian principle, Barack Obama has killed funding to abstinence in favor of sex education. Democrats continually roll out studies claiming no benefit to abstinence prevention programs when it is the best choice. Liberals on social media websites have a coordinated abstinence kills babies campaign. Their oh-so-coy saying mockingly proclaims, every time I have my period and don't have sex, a baby dies. This story is from Tribune.com. Mob justice, alleged blasphemer lynched in front of police. Um, This is a story out of uh, Pakistan. Um, Basically, there was a a guy in Pakistan who maybe didn't really catch him doing Mm -hmm. it. He maybe burned a Koran. Sure. But they got back at him. Yeah. For burning a book, maybe. How'd they do that? By burning him. Oh, yeah. That's how you do it. Yeah. Because books and people are analogous. (laughs) Somehow, there is some sort of equation somewhere that somebody is furiously trying to write where they can actually (laughs) figure out whether or not people are equal to fucking books. I can't believe this. And the thing is, is like, like now they're not even doing it for like outright blasphemy. They're doing it for alleged blasphemy. Right. I, and yeah. really, you could basically kill anybody. Just go like sprinkle some ashes on their Koran and be like they tried to burn it and you could have them put to death. This guy had already been arrested. He'd been arrested for. Ugh. It's not like he wasn't coming to possibly coming to justice. It's that they were so bloodthirsty and so outraged that somebody had damaged this collection of paper, this book. That they stormed the fucking castle like fucking yeah, Princess Bride style. Yeah, they did. They fucking overpowered the police. It's too bad this guy didn't have a Holocaust cloak, though. Because if he yeah, had one, he'd be fine. You know, they just light him on fire and he wouldn't have burned. <laughs> if I ever am forced to go to Pakistan for any reason, I'm just going to wear asbestos. Just- <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to wear an asbestos and Kevlar vest. Yeah. That's all I'm going to wear. I'm going to wear a tank. <laughs> I'm going to wear the United States Army. Yeah, no kidding. That's what I'm going <laughs> to wear the entirety of the United States Army. I, I, can't, I can't even imagine being of such a mindset that 
they've damaged your whole – you think this guy's damaged your holy book. And let's even pretend he did it. Sure. Who cares? Fine, right. Whatever. It's a book. And he's been arrested for it. Yeah. You're like, not fucking good enough. We didn't beat him in a crowd and set him on fire enough yet. Gosh. I mean, it really – you know, the thing that gets me too is the alleged part. You know, like, I mean – and he's already been arrested. First off, you have a country that arrests people for doing this, which is fucking shocking and stupid. But then the person's already been arrested. So now they're going to face – charges or you know they're going to actually collect evidence or whatever no it's not good enough let's just kill him let's just take him out of the police custody and kill him i mean what kind of you you can't look at your country you can't look at your society you can't look at your religion at that point and be like we are civilized you can't do it you can't you are fucking an ooking tribe of fucking chimpanzees man yeah when when fire is your solution to the problem there are very few problems wherein the solution is, did we set that person on fire yet? Ugh. When that's the solution, your problems have gotten out of fucking hand. I also want to point out before we navigate away that the part of the article that's also kind of killer is there's 200 villagers. There's a dozen police. The 200 villagers storm the police station. At the end of the article, the 10 policemen have been charged for negligence. It's 20 to 1. <laughs> Presumably they have guns, though. Uh, maybe. But if you've got 200 people with fucking pitchforks and fucking torches and shit, I mean, you've got a gun with like 16 bullets in it. Yeah. You, I'm, I'm letting them through, man. It's I'm not fucking playing some Gandalf thou shalt not pass shit. Fuck that noise. <laughs> It's sixteen. It's sixteen dead and a hundred and eighty-four pallbearers. I guess I right. It's like mm, I got a hundred and eighty-four more people to shoot me, yeah. or <laughs> to burn me, or to burn me, which they almost certainly will do yeah. since they were provoked by so little before. No kidding. It's like mm, I mean, you burned our book. We're very angry. You shot our buddy. Oh, look out! We are vastly more angry. <laughs> So we're going to take a quick break, give you some information on how to contact us. Don't forget to stick around. At the end of the show, we're going to be visiting with Vicki Garrison from the No Longer Quivering blog. Want to contact Cognitive Dissonance? Visit them on Facebook. You can find the link at the website dissonancepod.com or type it in the Facebook search bar. Be sure to follow the guys on Twitter. Their handle is at dissonance underscore pod. The guys also post to Google Plus now, too, so check them out there. And if you'd like to email them, you can do so at dissonance.podcast at gmail.com. You can also leave a comment on the blog at their webpage or give them a call at 740-74-DOUBT. That's 740-743-6828. Long distance rates apply. And to everyone who listens, shares, retweets, or rates the show, Cognitive Dissonance would like to cordially thank you for all of your fucking support. This story is from This is Leicestershire. 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 Worcestershire. Worcestershire. Sires. This is from Boston. This is from Boston. Terrible. Oh, we're going to get up. Atheist People Peter are going to send us, you know, phonetic ways in which to pronounce this, you know. These Americans can't pronounce anything. Maybe we're playing it for effect. Yeah. <laughs> Don't give away all our secrets, Tom. (laughs) 
Atheist Peter Crawford in court for ripping up Koran at stall in Boston. Boston. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's not uh, Boston. Basically, this story gets – this guy gets arrested for tearing up his own book. Like it's his own Koran. That's the best part of this story. Guy, guy shows up at a stall um, with Muslims promoting Islam. He pulls out his own Koran, his own copy yeah. of it, which I don't know if he brought special purpose for the <laughs> exactly. event. I love or the he idea just... of him packing his own Koran from home that day. <laughs> Or if he just always carries it around in the hopes in that case. someone will offend him. Just in case, Tom. You never know when someone will tell you that the Quran is the true word of God and you'll have the opportunity to tear it up in their face. And and tell them, uh, quote, your religion is a load of bullshit. I love that. I don't love that he points a gun finger at them. What the fuck is that no, about? That's so dumb. It's so goofy, too. Like. Gun fingers? Yeah, like well, you're pointing I mean, your finger like it's a gun and saying, I'll be back for you or whatever. Be like, wait, you guys didn't even have fucking guns over there. What are you going to do? Point your finger at him again? Right. I know. It's like, <laughs> it's like bang, bang. That's still not actually yeah. a gun. That's still just a finger. Yeah. You do realize that. You get a that, knife, sir. bro. That's how you yeah. do your fighting over there. Yeah, but the thing is, knifey finger just looks it a little dirty. It does. It does. Like it's not. You could not draw your finger across your neck or something, you know? Yeah. Like in another threatening gesture that you could actually follow through with. Or you could just speak the threat aloud. Yeah. Just be like, threatening gesture. I am threatening you. <laughs> <laughs> and like, the thing is, is this guy kind of, this is kind of network news because this guy, there's no reason for this guy to flip out like this. No, he just loses He it. just kind of flips just... out, tears some pieces of the Quran up, and they. But the thing, you know, the, I guess the thing that bothers me is, is that it's a crime in other countries, but it's also a crime in England. Yeah, it shouldn't be. I don't understand why, why religion gets a special. Yeah, this guy's a douche. Yeah, bag, the guy's right? a douche. Like the guy's just a fucking yeah. enormous douche nozzle. What the fuck is the point of walking up and being like, "I am an insightful ass bag"? Yeah. You know, like, what the fuck? <laughs> There's no reason for it, but. He didn't get arrested for making pointy fingers and, like, threatening these guys. Had he been arrested for that, I'd be like, hey, well, yeah, fucking threaten some people. He gets arrested for insulting a religion. That shouldn't be a crime. I, that's crazy. That isn't, a crime. isn't a religion an idea? Yeah. How can you insult an idea? Yeah, that'd be like insulting conservatives. Right. You know, it's like – and it's an ideology. You're like, OK, well, I don't like conservatives or I don't like – I mean, you know, I don't like people who – who are who think socialism is a good idea? I want to insult socialists. If you can't insult socialists, why not? Yeah, just you're just gonna like walk like any idea are all like conceptual notions somehow subject to a don't insult me clause. Like you can just like walk into like a group of psychologists and be like, I think Rogerian philosophy is a load of bullshit and start tearing out. Yeah, that's crazy. Like ah, Freud sucks, and then you get arrested for it. No, like every other idea. Is subject to the to, to the critique of the marketplace, right? Even if that critique is not a good critique, and and that's that's the only thing that separates this crazy wild-eyed lunatic from a reasoned debate. Is this guy's critique is not well reasoned and polite and respectful, but when you make speech subject, when you make a certain set of ideas subject to only certain types of speech, you are you're. I mean, you're just basically saying like, well, we just don't have real free speech in this country because it's not a dangerous thing to do to do that. It's not fire in a crowded theater. 
It's not the same thing. So we're joined again by Vicki Garrison of the No Longer Quivering blog. Uh, Vicki, could you tell us about, about your work, about what you do with this blog? Okay, No Longer Quivering, we, we call it a gathering place for people who are healing and escaping from spiritual abuse. And by spiritual abuse, what I'm talking about is um, that desire that we have. And, and I think, you know, particularly women... Um, of the the quiverful, um, or the you know the women who really get deep into the religious faith um, and the the walk of faith, I think it's because we have this desire to do good to you know lay down our lives for our families to make sure that you know we're um, we're doing the, our best we're being very loving we're being very kind. And we, so we have this desire, but we're not really sure exactly how that plays out. And, and when these religions, you know, and I think especially because, of course, you know, um, I'm American and Christianity is very prevalent. But I think especially the evangelical Christian and the fundamentalist um, Christian faith really plays on that desire and uses it to the point where we end up actually going against our desires. We actually end up harming ourselves, harming our families, harming the people we love in the name of this whole, you know, um, in the name of trying to please God, to serve God, to do right, we end up hurting people. We end up becoming very judgmental, very... um, unloving, unkind, and doing things that don't even make sense. And so, you know, when when you, when people come to the blog and they start reading the stories of women who have gone to this extreme, who have lived out this quiverful ideal, um, and they're just taught, you know, it, it's a way of processing when you start telling your story and writing it out for other people to to read. It's a way of just kind of thinking it through and going, why was I doing that? How did that make sense? And, you know, getting the feedback, it's very much a, a um, an interactive, you know, it's therapeutic really to do that. Um, but people will come and they'll start reading those stories and they'll, and even if they haven't gone to that extreme, even if they are, you know, like I, I call people um, pop Christianity or pew warmer Christians, um, the, even those people who haven't gone to the extreme of quiverful, they will still recognize that mindset in themselves. And they'll say, wow, you know, I see where this is very harmful. And, uh, and not everyone who comes to No Longer Quivering ends up um, atheist. In fact, I would say most don't go quite to that extreme. And I'm not saying that atheism is extreme and wrong. I'm just saying that, you know, from fundamentalism to atheism is a huge sure, it's a wide swing. Sure, yeah. right. <laughs> um, but but every time that somebody comes and starts reading, it definitely changes the way they understand religion and the way they look at their faith. 
and they start to think it through and to really analyze what it is they're doing and why they're doing it and how much sense it really does make. Is this really helpful? Is this really good for my family? Um, and so it's it's kind of like an online support group. I heard you say earlier uh, when we were talking, um, you said something to the effect of before I got into Christianity. Um, and, and then obviously now you're out and you're out of the Quiverful movement. Um, can you tell me a little bit about um, what was before you got into Christianity? Did you have a different faith tradition or did you just accelerate your Christianity somehow? And then um, tell me a little bit about why you why you left the Quiverful movement. What happened to – you said something must have happened, I would imagine, to, to precipitate that change. I was not raised in a Christian home in any way. My, my mom was kind of – she was – um, a spiritual seeker. She believed in God and she wanted something. She had that that kind of instinct to want to worship and to believe in a higher power or whatever. But she tended more towards like the new agey things. And, you know, she was a, um, she, she got experimented a lot with occultic sort of things, whatever was different and sounded kind of spiritual. We did a lot of, I don't know how you would describe it. <laughs> Uh, Ouija boards and seances and mm-hmm. whatever. Um, but my, you know, I remember my grandmother saying, you know, just don't ever go to a church because all they care about is, you know, showing off their fancy clothes and their new cars. <laughs> and they're just a bunch <laughs> of hypocrites. And so, you know, we never had any of that. But when I, when I became, and, and the thing is that my, my home life was very chaotic. We had a series of stepdads. I have two um, half siblings who, you know, none of us had the same dad. We didn't know our dads. Um, a series of boyfriends that came in and out of the house and moving all the time. You know, it was just wild. And so I was looking for stability. I just wanted to settle down. I wanted some answers. I wanted um, that assurance, that blessed assurance, you know. And so I turned to the Bible and I started, you know, praying and asking God, show me how to live my life because I don't want to, you know, have this total chaos that I've been living. I would like to have purpose and direction. And so what I got, you know, I was looking for um, a sure foundation and, and that's, you know, uh, that's why I went for the fundamentalist Christianity. You know, when I got into it, I totally threw myself into it. And I wanted that um, that security. I wanted those firm answers. I wanted black and white, yes or no, chapter and verse, um, because it felt safe to me. Was there like a Quiverful church down the road or how did you how did you get involved there? The thing about Quiverful, um, you know, I like to define it as a very powerful head trip. It's more of a mindset of fundamentalism than it is. You know, there's not like a doctrinal statement that you sign and and say, this is what I believe. But it's more like it's it's like regular Christianity. It's the things that that are taught, um, but the, the living out of it. You know, once you get that idea, that literalistic um, approach to your faith where, you know, if God says it, I'll do it, period. Um, and this whole idea is it, like you get this vision that God, 
because he's our creator, because he's the one who made us, he knows us intimately. He knows us, you know, he knows what is best for us, the best way to live, the best, um, the, you know, what is going to be really fulfilling for us. And so once you get that mindset and you start going to the Bible and searching out, you know, digging in there and saying, you know, what does God want for my life? What you're going to find is patriarchy. You're going to find, you know, that women are supposed to submit, that women are supposed to be homemakers, that women are supposed to be producing, you know, fruitful and like a, a fruitful vine, <laughs> you know, um, it, it, it's like this vision that you get in your head. You're like, here's how I can have the perfect life. And it really is a, an ideal of perfection. It's like trying to get back to that Garden of Eden where everything is just great and fine because you're in God's will. You know, I always go back to Corey Ten Boom because I remember reading The Hiding Place and she talks about being in that hiding place. And the hiding place isn't a particular location. The hiding place is, according to Corey Ten Boom's, you know, um, what she laid out there in that book is that when you're in the center of God's will, when you are doing what God wants you to do, then you are in that safe place. God will protect you. God will make everything work for you. And so, you know, no matter where you are, no matter what's going on, no matter, you know, what kind of chaos, if you're in a concentration camp or whatever, if you're in the center of God's will, then you are in that safe hiding place. And, you know, nothing can touch you because basically you've got God surrounding you and protecting you. And that's that's really um, the appeal, the draw of Quiverful. And what, what got me into it, and I think what, what gets most Christian families into it, was through homeschooling. That's where, and homeschooling is really growing among evangelicals because of the fear. Because, you know, we've got the whole end time scene with Left Behind and um, and then we have this fear of our government because, you know, we have a liberal president and yeah. the secular schooling. Um, every time that a, a liberal, liberal or progressive um, agenda or whatever, you know, ideal is put into place and implemented, it scares the Christians. They feel like they're losing ground. They feel like, you know, Satan is winning the battle. <laughs> and their reaction, the reaction that they do is like, well, I've got to keep my kids safe. And so the thing that they do is they decide to homeschool. And once you get into that homeschooling, there's this whole world. <laughs> um, it, homeschool, Christian homeschooling. And I, I will you know, say that there are, there are homeschoolers who are not doing it for religious reasons. Uh, you know, I know atheists who homeschool. But Christian homeschooling is not about academics. It is not about providing, you know, a high standard of quality education for your kids. It is about a lifestyle. It is about biblical family values. It's about protecting your children. It's like they, you know, it's kind of like this protection racket that they've got going where they hype you up with all of this fear. They say, you know, here's all the enemies that are out to get your children, and we have the solution. And the solution is... And, and I figured this out, you know, after I got out because I went down in my basement where we kept our homeschooling supplies and I started looking around 
And we had shelf after shelf after shelf of materials that were teaching this lifestyle. And I was like, wow, you know, this is like a business. And I hadn't really thought about it before, but it's, it's a marketing thing. They're selling you protection and they're selling books and seminars and workshops and tapes and DVDs and, um, you know, retreats where you can go and you can learn about family values. And when, when they're talking about biblical family values, they're talking about patriarchy. They're talking about, um, you know, trusting the Lord with your family planning, prolific motherhood, homeschooling, um, sheltering your children. And by sheltering, that means like you basically, your kids have no life. You're (laughs) such a restrictive environment for the children because you just have to control every outside influence to keep the world of flesh, the devil on the outside. Um, so, you know, to protect your home from those influences. How many children did you have? Seven. Seven children. Now, when you were, you were homeschooling all of these children? Well, (laughs) okay. So my health really took a toll. Um, and I would say that my children were home and the schooling part was very hit and miss, mostly miss, because I was overwhelmed and my health was so bad that there were days where I couldn't even get out of bed. My oldest daughter did a lot of the homeschooling, and if it wasn't for her, I don't know if my kids would have <laughs> learned anything. It was it was very much, you know, I mean, they give you this ideal and say that you can do all of this, but in reality, it's a very demanding lifestyle that is unsustainable. It is really impractical, and it can't be done. Um, anybody who, who says they're doing it, you know, the doers, have you seen 19 and counting on... Oh yeah, I've seen I've seen the sh- I've seen like advertisements for the show. It's not a show I would sit down and watch though. <laughs> I think, you know, they make it look like it's doable. I remember watching Michelle Duggar when it was like 14 and pregnant again or something like that. And I was just so enthralled. I was like, "Wow, you know, she is my idol and that is that is what I'm looking for. That is what I'm hoping for." Um my life w- and my family was not coming anywhere near to that standard, but that was the vision that I had. That's the kind of family that I wanted. And the thing is, you know, it's all picture perfect and everything, but anybody who says that they're actually making it work for them, um, I'm sorry, but no. Don't you, I mean, don't you really have to treat your children like indentured servants though at a certain point to actually achieve any kind of ideal? I mean, you really, if you have that many children, it's, I mean, what they're up to now, what are they up to? 67 children or something, whatever they're up to some ridiculous number, yeah, but any they have a whole clown car full of children, basically. <laughs> so the, the thing is, is that is that they have so many children that that they have to basically take those children and they have to uh, to make them parent the other younger children because at a certain point they're going to be too exhausted to exactly. parent them all. And they call it the buddy system. You know, as soon as a as soon as a child is born, you know, by the time they're a few months old, they are paired up with a, an older buddy who is responsible for making sure the kid is dressed, fed, and, you know, the, the older buddies will do the homeschooling and they will, um, you know, basically parent the younger sibling. Um, it, yeah, it's, it's not a good deal for the kids because they have <laughs> their life all like prepackaged it. and handed to them. And like, this is how you're going to do it. And they don't have choices. They don't, 
they aren't encouraged to um, to really think about what they want their life to be like, what they you know what their interests are or anything. It's like here's what God wants for your life. That buddy system's a raw deal. It's like that totally I'm going to tell is. my wife we got a buddy system. I got one kid and be like, hmm, he's your buddy. I'm not going to do any of the work. <laughs> That's how. That's a terrible system. It's like, not a system. It, it sounds like it. It would be a great deal for the guy, you know, because yeah. he's basically got this submissive wife. He's got kids who are right. You know, just totally focused on o- obeying daddy. Um, but it turns out that it really sucks for the men too. Um, it is not a good system all around. It's not a healthy way of relating, and it's very manipulative. It's very twisted, um, and what you end up with is people who are miserable. You know, they hate themselves. They hate each other um, all all because they are trying to conform to this, this uh, standard that does not allow – for any deviations, it doesn't allow for different personality types. It doesn't allow for um, different gifts and talents, or for weaknesses. You know, if a man doesn't happen to have that leadership type of personality, too bad. He's got to suck it up and lead anyway. You know, it's just um, it's very rigid. It's very oppressive, and yet people are just contorting themselves to make themselves fit this standard that you know is like biblical family this is how biblical families are how did you get how did you leave this behind how did you push yourself past this it it got to a, a point of desperation for me because my health was so bad and i was seeing that my children were not thriving my children were um you know i could tell that my our homeschooling was failing my kids were unhappy they were like they had no no lives. They had no personality. It was like they were just shadows. They're like little robots or something. They were living in fear. They were living in, um, you know, it was just so stressful. And I remember reading a, a verse in Ecclesiastes that says it's the gift of God that a man should enjoy the fruits of his labor. And that word labor <laughs> just triggered me because I knew about labor. And when I thought fruits of labor, I'm thinking, okay, kids. And I realized that I wasn't enjoying all these children. I had, you know, a quiver full of children, but I was not enjoying them or, the, you know, being around them because I was so exhausted. I was so wiped out. And they weren't enjoying. Like, none of us were happy. And uh, But I got to the point where I just realized that I couldn't keep living that way. And at the about that same time, I had an opportunity to meet um, my uncle, whom I had not known ever, um, and and he is an unbeliever. Was, you know, I was warned to stay away from him; um, that he was a tricky person; that he would just try to confuse me. Um, but for some reason, you know, because I was like this good Christian apologist, I read um, Josh McDowell and Walter Martin and. Robbie Zacharias. So I wasn't worried that he was going to, you know, plus I had my own personal testimony because of all the times that, you know, God answered prayers and all the things that he had done in my life, et cetera, et cetera. He was so real to me that there's no way I, you know, I, I was just convinced that there's no way that I would be um, talked out of my faith or whatever. So when I met my uncle, I don't know, we just kind of hit it off. 
immediately we we had this connection and we just started writing to each other through email mm-hmm. and it was uh it was an opportunity for me to start reevaluating what I was doing and why I was doing it because I knew that you know things weren't working I was you know tending to blame myself that I must not be doing it right I must not have the right understanding I must not have enough faith whatever you know but Writing to my uncle was a, a way for me to start thinking again, thinking kind of outside the box and trying to look more objectively at what I was doing. And uh, that was the beginning. <laughs> it, it, what it led to was me coming to the conclusion that fundamentalism was our problem and that this whole literalistic interpretation of the Bible. And it wasn't very long after I realized that that I started Realizing that, you know, if I didn't believe it literally, I actually didn't believe it at all. <laughs> and then I found myself, um, you know, not appreciating Jesus or any of it. And so it was kind of scary. When, it was very scary, actually. You know, when I had built my whole life on this firm foundation of the Word of God and of personal relationship with Jesus, and all of a sudden that is all gone I didn't believe any of it and yet I still have this lifestyle (laughs) oh my we were even making our living by publishing a Christian family newspaper (laughs) no so everything everything was just you know like my purpose for everything that I was doing in life was gone now your children at a certain point um they were all taught this they grew up like this where are they at are they in the, are they still believers? Are they falling towards you? Or where do they sit? Well, they're all they all have like their own personalities and everything, which they weren't allowed that during their quiverful day. <laughs> oh no! Threw that off. We're like, okay, whatever. You know, you guys get to discover yourselves. You get to invent. You know who you are and what's important to you and everything. And so they've all kind of um, taken their own paths as far as we know what they believe in everything. And I think at this point, like none of them really believe it anymore. I have, I have several who are just outright atheists and say, you know, that's all bullshit. Um, but, um, you know, because it was so oppressive for the children, I mean, I chose that lifestyle. It it was a, a deliberate decision. And I, you know, I remember my thought process that led me into it. And I remember why I was doing it. I had that, motivation and that inspiration and so for me it was you know at the time it was a very um, I don't know I felt like it was a good experience but my kids who were born into it who had no choice about it who felt very oppressed by it um, they were more than happy when I said you know I just don't believe this anymore and we're just not gonna um have chapter and verse, we're going to figure these things out for ourselves. They were more than happy to go that route and say, um, you know, they were, they were thrilled when I put them in public school (laughs) and let them have televisions and Xbox and, you know, all of these things that they never, you know, friends, they started to have friends. Um, So for them, it's been like, Yippee, they're happy. They are so glad to, you know, and they have the, the contrast of what it was like when 
you know, they basically have these little cookie cutter kids um, to to not have that kind of um, oppression and that kind of rigidity. They're they're thrilled. They're all pretty happy. If someone, if a woman were to come into this movement, let's say she was raised and the people that she was raised by thought that this quiverful thing was a good idea. She came from, say, a big family and she married someone who thought it was a good idea and come to find out she's barren. Mm. How would that affect something? I mean, because women, I mean, you even said they're baby factories in this in this faith tradition. They don't really serve much of a purpose except for to procreate. What kind of life would someone who's who doesn't have the ability to have children, what kind of life would they expect in this kind of faith tradition? Right. And we have had women come to no longer quivering who were in that situation. And it was hell. It was very much, um, they felt worthless. They felt judged. They felt like it was their fault. Um, that, you know, obviously they were not pleasing to God. Um, you know, and so they, they were definitely under a lot of condemnation, a lot of guilt, um, I knew one one woman while I was in it who was barren, and she, you know, basically devoted her life to um, taking care of other mothers and their their kids. It was like she still couldn't go out and get a job because that would be, you know, out of God's will. But she didn't have any children of her own, so she baked a lot of casseroles <laughs> and took them oh, to the women no. who were having babies. Oh it, no! It was very sad to see. Oh, that's that's awful. Well, we want to thank you so much for taking the time out to uh, to talk with us today, Vicky. And uh, and if people were going to find your blog, where would they go? If you type in no longer quivering dot com, it will come up. So we we do have that domain, even though it's on Pathio. So that makes it less complicated to try and find. But yeah, no longer quivering. Okay, thanks so much for visiting with us today, Vicky. We really appreciate it. So we got a couple of voicemails. I can't play one because it's three minutes long. Uh, so uh, someone had called us up and left a long voice voicemail. We're going to paraphrase it after we're done to talk about a little bit about what the person talked about. But it's three minutes long. It's a little too long. Uh, but we are going to play two other voicemails. One of them, which one of them was uh, Travis from Utah. So we're going to play those right now, and then we're going to talk about them right afterwards. What's up, Tom and Cecil? This is Steve, the tow truck driver. Um, it's not that we, uh, forget to rate you on iTunes. Um, it's just that once we pick up the bag of Doritos, we have to go to the Doritos website to rate how delicious the Doritos were. So I do apologize for the rating situation, but I don't apologize for eating Doritos. Thanks, guys. Hey, guys, it's Travis here back again. Uh, I was just thinking after my last, uh, rant. Maybe there should be something done, not regarding guns, but maybe mental illness. You know, why don't we take a closer look at the mental illness within this country? Maybe register the mental ill. Maybe make sure that families that have mental ill people in their home, they're properly storing guns or maybe suggest they don't own guns. Maybe let their neighbors know that uh, there's a problem there and they should store their guns properly and that they should be aware and wake. 
and uh, involved with their neighbors. So maybe that's a better solution than, than gun control. Uh, anyway, maybe you guys can speak to that. Anyway, appreciate it again, and talk to you again. Bye. We want to talk about Travis here. Travis um, also called and left a three-minute message talking about a couple of things. One of the things he said was um, he was talking about our gun control uh, talk that we had last time. And he had mentioned, Tom, that uh, waiting periods don't work uh, mainly because uh, if like a woman were to get be being abused or being threatened and she has to wait for a gun – uh, she could get killed in the time that she's waiting for a gun. And he also mentioned that registries don't work because Canada had tried to do a registry and and it failed up there. Uh, I do want to say that you know just because another country tried to do something and failed doesn't mean they tried the only way that we can do a registry and fail. It wasn't like they did the platonic ideal of registry and they tried the perfect registry and it totally didn't work. They had bureaucracy just like we would have bureaucracy, but we could probably learn from their mistakes. I mean, they tried it for 10 years and it didn't work. So let's take a look and see what they did and then try to work it from there. I do think registries would help. I know that there is a big obstacle to overcome in this country, mainly because of the all the guns that already exist. But I think a start would be uh, the registry, first off, you have to pay to have your guns registered. So that helps fund the process. And then you also make sure that you post people that are at the places where people actually use their guns. So where the people are shooting, uh, you you either post people or have people visit randomly to make sure that guns are registered at those places. And then when you show up, they have to register their guns. And if you find people without guns that are registered, you should confiscate those guns. I think that those are the, you know, if, if you set yourself up at the shooting ranges, you could start collecting, basically collecting guns at every shooting range you visit if they choose not to register them. So then you start funding the program that way. Um, if you, you could catch people hunting too, there's lots of ways in which you people use their guns. You just find those people that are using their guns and make sure that they're registering it. I don't care that grandpa's you know, shotgun that hasn't been shot in 70 years isn't registered. I just care when it gets out into the street when it, that then it needs to get registered. So that's what I'm talking about. And I think there are safe and, and intelligent ways to go about that, even if Canada failed at it. Yeah, just, just because something is not perfect doesn't mean it's not worth trying. Um, yeah. That's for sure. You can't, uh, you can't let, as you've said, you, you can't let the perfect be the enemy of the good. I think that that's, yeah. um, that's important to note. One, one of Travis's other uh, comments was the idea um, of registering um, or keeping tabs on the mentally ill. Um, I, I have to say, I've heard this a couple of times. Um, the the idea that we are so in love with guns that we are uh, immune to the idea of registering them. You know, we just we just we just shriek away at that. But we would register people. Um, yeah. That seems like the greatest possible invasion of privacy. Um, the, the, there's so many problems with that. Uh, it's it's so incredibly insulting. Um, you have to determine, okay, well, which mental illnesses are we going to register? Because clearly you're not going to register everybody who's ever, you know, taken a, a, a Prozac for six months or, you know, we're going to register new moms who have postpartum depression. Are we going to register, uh, you know, students with ADHD? Yeah. Who do, I mean, that's, I, I really strongly object to this idea that mental illness um, is somehow fundamentally different than physical illnesses and so is more uh, necessarily dangerous. You know, we wouldn't say, 
we're going to register uh, everybody with uh, certain physical illnesses. That would be that would be horrible. Even if even if the intention was to register them for a, a bone marrow transplant database, no way, absolutely not. We're not going to put people on a registry. It's an invasion of privacy. The government has no business in people's medical records, and somehow mental illness for a lot of people gets a pass on that, as if it's some separate and different category, despite the fact that mental illnesses are real, they're biologically based, they're, you know, it's it's a legitimate illness of the body. And somehow it would be okay to register people instead of guns. And I also think it's totally useless. Somebody could be not mentally ill on Tuesday and three weeks later, could have a psychotic break and develop symptoms and engage in in, in uh, activity that reflects their their status as, as a mentally ill person. It's not it's not that cut and dry. It's not a good idea. I also want to talk about the waiting periods really quickly, Tom. You had an interesting point when we talked about this earlier. Uh, I think uh, Travis, you're, you're when you say that uh, the waiting periods don't work because what if a woman wanted to get a gun and she couldn't and then she got killed? I think you're not only are you you're 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 placing this all on a single scenario. Uh, you're also saying how that scenario would have worked if she had a gun. Uh, you know, there's there's no guarantee that if she had a gun, it would have protected her at all. It might have been in her glove compartment. It might not have been loaded. It might have been in the other room. And the person might have wrestled the gun away from her and took it, taken it and shot her with it. So, you know, there's a lot of I think there's a lot of trust in. Uh, in your scenario and understanding whether or not, uh, you know, she would have been able to protect herself. Um, I think waiting periods have been proven to work. And we're going to talk a little bit about the waiting periods they have in Canada later on. Uh, but, you know, hey, it's a healthy debate. If you don't agree with us, that's cool. You don't have to agree with us. Uh, you know, nobody has to agree with us. But these are some ideas that Tom and I thought would be good ideas and could be useful. Tom, uh, we got a quick message from Francois. Francois says, uh, Francoise, is it? I don't know, whatever. It's a fucking foreign name, so I mispronounced it's it. It's Francoise. Um, it's Francoise. Yeah. So uh, Francois says uh, that she used a clip from our show as a ringtone. And the clip, Tom, is of me saying dove because fuck your children. <laughs> That's the clip. That has got to be the weirdest ringtone. Don't let that ring when you're picking up your kid at the daycare yeah, no or something. Kidding. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> or when touring the Dove manufacturing facility. Yeah, no, yeah. You want to avoid Equally it then awful. too. Yeah. But thank you for using our voice as a ringtone. It's funny. I like Tom's laugh after that too. It's pretty good. Tom, we got an email from Gabrielle to give her advice. Yeah, and in a nutshell, Gabrielle is asking uh, – she is an, an atheist and – her mother is definitively not from the sound of this yeah. uh, email. And uh, her and her fiancé are having the should we, shouldn't we children debate. And uh, she's asking, you know, do, if we have any advice on that subject. Yeah, she's worried that it might put a rift between her and her mother if she if she starts – has children and raises them as atheists. Um, I personally – now I'm child-free. Uh, Tom, you have children, but I am child-free, happily child-free, and I will say right now that uh, that the the children not children discussion needs to happen in a vacuum away from other things in your life. So you need to think about it in a way like 
Uh, do I really want to have children? Do I not really want to have children? You need, it's okay not to have children. It's okay to have children. But you need to think about it and not think about uh, think about how that affects other people in your life, but how it specifically how it's going to affect you and your life. Once you get past that decision, whether you decide to have children or not, um, then you then you go through with it, and then you worry about the consequences of that act later on. Yeah, I, I can't imagine if you really want to have children, um, then fuck your mom. You know, I mean, she's yeah. let her be unhappy. That's not your problem. You're not there to make your mom happy. That's I mean, it's great if she is, but I mean, if she's not happy, then she's not happy. And if you don't want to have children, then don't have children. But don't let it be because, you know, mom doesn't want you to have children or mom's going to get upset if you raise your children a different way than she wants you to raise your children. That's let your mom be unhappy. Her happiness or unhappiness is not your responsibility. Yeah. And you're going to be raising the children, you know, on your you're going to be raising the children. That's your job as a parent. You're going to raise your children. Uh you receive very little advice from outside. I mean, I'm sure you'll receive unsolicited advice all the time from outside, but you'll make those decisions on your own. So uh, so I would make the decision on whether or not I was going to have children first and then deal with the consequences later on, whatever those consequences are. And if the consequences are your mom doesn't like it, your mom's mad at you, it causes a rift between you, you know, your child's going to come first. That's That's what always happens. But good luck to you. We hope everything works out. Uh, we want to thank Chris for sending in a rant. We enjoyed your rant. Thank you for sending a link to your rant to us. Aiden sent us an email, Tom. Aiden is a member of the Canadian of, – of the Canadian law enforcement. They only have one. It's the, the Canadian, Canadian law, law enforcement. The Canadian. Now, he's a, he's a, a law enforcement officer in Canada, and he sends uh, us a little bit of a correction on what we talked about last time. One of the things that that I wanted to mention was we said it was a waiting period on guns. It's not. It's a waiting period on licenses. So if you want to buy a li- if you want to get a license to buy a gun, it's, it lasts. He says here for five years. You have to wait, and they can call people that you list as references, and they can talk to them. Uh, but it's not like a letter of recommendation system, but. The avenue is open. So their their system is very different, I think, than ours because each state has different regulations on the way in which you buy guns. And I'm really only familiar with the state our state, which has the FOID, which you don't which lasts, I think, for ten years. You you use it to buy guns and ammunition, but uh but you technically really don't even need it if you want to buy it from a personal like private party and there's all these weird little gun laws that pop up state to state. Yeah, I, I appreciate the correction, though. We certainly don't intend to get uh, to get these things wrong. It's just that I research things so very poorly. Yeah, yeah. I, I didn't even click on links inside of blogs. <laughs> I didn't even bother. Thank you for sending it, though, Thank Aiden. You. We appreciate it. We got an email from Joel, Tom. Um, I like the sign here. The sign reads, he sends us a sign that says, religion is, is like a penis. It's fine to have one. It's fine to be proud of it. But please don't whip it out in public and start waving around. And please don't try to shove it down our children's throats. <laughs> I like that. Richard sends us an email from Northumberland. Northumberland? N- Northum- Northumberland. Northumberland. <laughs> Fuck. Terrible. Yeah, thank you, Richard, for sending us an email. He's happy that he found Cognitive Dissonance, and we are happy you found us as well. So uh, we want to thank Vicki Garrison again for joining us on uh, 
on and talking about her blog, uh, No Longer Quivering. So you can go to nolongerquivering.com to find her blog. It's on the Pathios set of blogs there. That was a fascinating conversation we had with it her. It was great. It was great. I'm really glad she came on the show. So uh, we're going we're gonna to wrap the show up now, but we will leave you as always with The Skeptic's Creed. Credulity is not a virtue. It's fortune cookie cutter, mommy issue, hypno Babylon bullshit. Couched in scientician, double bubble, toil and trouble, pseudo quasi alternative, acupunctuating, pressurized, stereogram, pyramidal, free energy, healing, water, downward spiral, brain dead pan, sales pitch, late night info docutainment. Leo Pisces, cancer cures, detox, reflex, foot massage, death in towers, tarot cars, psychic healing, crystal balls, Bigfoot, Yeti, aliens, churches, mosques, and synagogues, temples, dragons, giant worms, Atlantis, dolphins, truthers, birthers, witches, wizards, vaccine nuts, shaman healers, evangelists, conspiracy, doublespeak, stigmata, nonsense. Expose your signs. Thrust your hands, bloody, evidential, conclusive. Doubt even this. The opinions and views expressed in this show are that of the hosts only. Our poorly formed and expressed notions do not represent those of our wives, employers, friends, families, or of the local dairy council. 